0: What's up? It's me, your boy, back here with episode 93 of the Pin Overload podcast. I was just looking at the um, thumbnail art for our show, and it is terrible. I need to get that updated soon, but I can't because the guy's still designing it. Um, I just saw on Netflix that Daredevil Season 3 has dropped, and I am interested in that. I'm going to go watch it as soon as I'm done here. So I got a new phone today. I got the iPhone 8 Plus. Really thick phone. Like, I, I am used to holding my phone with one hand easily. Now I have to shift my my grip up and for or up and back, you know, further up to hold it, do stuff on top of the screen deeper on the bottom to hold stuff uh, at the bottom, to touch stuff on the bottom of the screen I don't know what I'm talking about anymore, I'm clearing emails, and I like the size of the screen, I mean I'm you know, two years behind on iPhones, so um, everyone knows everything about the iPhone 8, but I was on the 6S so I'm pretty excited to uh, I'm excited to know what's going on here or to have something new so I I went to go check out Atos yesterday you guys have been following the show you know I've been talking about Atos as a place to move uh, for a competition haven't trained there yet but I liked the gym it was huge like they had double the mat space that I had at my previous gym there was more than one black belt on the mat, which for those of you who don't know, having one black belt on the mat usually means that guy's the coach. Having multiple black belts on the mat means you're gonna have some shit going down. And the fact that those guys are gonna be hitting each other with levels of technique that you can't even fathom unless you're there. Now, I did see an article by John Donher on flow grappling that I want to I want to read, but okay Apple, go ahead. Billing problem me. Um, it was talking about how most most martial arts schools aren't designed to create an effective learning environment, and I'm really interested in what that that means or not what that means, but I'm really interested in what that, uh, or his thoughts on that are, because I do believe that not every place is the best learning environment. And I think that if you want to optimize a school for competition or even a school in general, like any kind of place where people learn, you have to be promoting a good learning environment. Like I think if you're going to teach, um, something like literature, or philosophy or any of the humanities, you should do it in, uh, it's called the Socratic circle where everyone sits in a circle and they go back and forth to basically debating points. I don't think someone should just be like, okay, this is what it is. Uh, remember this date. Remember these facts. I think it should be people analyzing the points in history or points in philosophy or points in literature that you, you need to know. And when you start to Examine those points and argue about them and say okay well why does this mean this and not that then people learn things better but instead we're like well uh you better read that john paul Sartre book and if you don't you're gonna fail this class like that doesn't really work to me and i think in a place like jujitsu let me just check my gain here test 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 okay there we go for some reason my gain was reading weird um I think that, you know, if you're training something physical like a sport, I've been going really deep into the way the Russian uh, sports teams would train their athletes. And the United States and, and the Soviet Union take two very different approaches to it. The United States says, "Okay, we've got some guys. These guys come from all over. These guys are... You know, the hardest workers in the room. They're not all of them are physically talented or physically gifted or the best athletes, but they are our best. And we are going to work as hard as we can. We're going to do as many sprints, as many, you know, uh, reps of whatever. We're going to do X amount of hard sparring or we're going to do X amount of hitting practice. And our guys burn out by the time they're 22. 22. Because we're putting kids into a sport, specifying kids at the age of four or five. And then we're having them do a sport all the way up through high school, hoping they get into college, which not everyone is supposed to be a college athlete and even higher than that. And these kids are getting tired of the sport they're playing by like, I don't know, let's say 12th grade. If you are starting, if you started wrestling, for example, which is what I've been reading about at four years old or six years old, let's say six sounds a little bit more reasonable to me. And you were doing that from six to 18. By the time you're, you know, graduating high school, you've had 12 years of practice. Now, people in America say, oh, yeah, well, that's what they need to get to the highest level. Well, in Tudor Bompas' periodization, uh, meta-analysis shows that the best in the world, world champions, tend to start between 10 and 13 years old, specifying in their sport. Doesn't mean they weren't training. Doesn't mean they weren't training. That's where people always miss this point. The way the Russians teach their kids to be athletic is through games. So if you're a six-year-old, you have a six-year-old, you want to put them into sports. And to be fair, in the 1960s, the Soviet Union developed a system for athletics, a system that created a hierarchy and a funnel to push students and kids into a whole new area, depending on their specialization, and to be able to foster their athletic growth effectively. Now... The United States doesn't have anything like that. We have occasional systems, but the thing we are missing is true structure. And we'll get it between, you know, some schools, like certain schools will have feeder programs and stuff like that. But that's always based around specialization. And. Oh, Jesus, I got to open up a window in here, turn the fan on. So it's based around specialization, which the Soviet Union disagrees with. They start their kids off with things like basic gymnastics or basic soccer, you know, rugby. And what they're doing here is their goal isn't to figure out what the kid is good at. Their goal is to develop general athletic capabilities. This in the strength and conditioning world is called general physical preparation. So when they're doing this from like six to 10 or six to 12, you know, whatever range you want to pick out, I would say six, to, six to 10, they're just developing the kid's athletic abilities. And then from 10 to 13, you know, I would say what middle school age. Then they, they decide, okay, well, where's this kid gonna fit out? You know, they have sports tryouts and they say, okay, this kid was really good at rugby. We're gonna put him on the rugby team. This kid was really good at gymnastics. He's gonna go to the tr- gymnastics team. This kid was really good at uh, wrestling. We're gonna put him in the wrestling team. And then they, they sort kids out based on what they're good at. And of course, you know, if you're good at something, you're gonna wanna do it. So from 10 to 13, these kids compete about four times a year cutting no weight they don't cut weight and they are effectively you know getting introduced to what the sport is like i know for a fact in the russian olympic weightlifting teams their first competitions as kids don't have any weight on the bar or effectively no weight on the bar they just have training plates that are you know five pounds each And they're judged on their technique. So these kids are based, or these kids are early competition, is based on how good their technique is, which is further reinforcing their abilities to have good technique when they get into actual senior level competition, and they're lifting for the most weight. So you can see how they're reinforcing general preparedness, early specialization, Uh, focusing on the technical aspects of sport, and then they get into what is, I would say, high school age, full competition. And at the high school age, they say the Russian weight wrestlers were cutting maybe two to six pounds. Um, This was something that they were saying kids who were youth wrestlers in the United States were cutting 10 to 15 pounds as 10-year-olds. So kids were cutting down to 95 pounds from, say, 115, which I personally, I don't think anyone should ever cut weight. I think you should compete at the weight you're walking around at. If you are going to compete in the 165 category, you should walk around in the 165 zone. You know, I think what's like 165 to 170, you need to walk around there. You can't be practicing at 190 and cutting down to 170 to compete. That makes no sense to me. But for some reason, people decided that was what they're going to do. And I understand moving up a weight class or moving down a weight class is a whole different thing than cutting weight. Like if you're going to move down, if you're 190 and you want to move down to 185, okay, you slow cut. And you get your body weight to stabilize at 185 so you don't jump back up to 195. That makes sense to me. But the guys who come in cut 20 pounds just for a competition that doesn't make sense because it's not safe. Now, I'm interested in the Danaher thing because what he was saying was he takes a five-year plan to increase an athlete's skill set radically. And he does that, I don't know how, because I haven't read the article yet, but, you know, that's one of the points in the, the article. And I'm interested in reading that because you can see, you know, from the Soviet system, which I would assume it's – he has some kind of influence from the Soviet system because there's not anyone in the field who doesn't have something influenced in some way by that system. It is that pervasive. The concept of teaching an athlete is, is fascinating. Especially in a sport that's highly technical, you know. Uh, I would say, just because I'm on the topic a lot lately, America's best freestyle wrestler was John Smith. I didn't even know. I thought it was a fake guy at first, but he has four Olympic, two Olympic golds or four. I don't remember. But he was the guy. And there are people who analyzed him and they were saying, well, this guy spent most of his time focusing on technique. Focusing on understanding all the aspects of what he was doing. That was what fascinated me. And I do appreciate hard sparring. I think hard sparring is the best way to get better at, at understanding the intensity of competition. You can't drill, you know, and this is the big, this is the big switch for me. There are people who drill slow and soft and there are people who drill hard and fast. And with the, you know, close to the intensity of competition. It seems to me that the people who are successful drill a lot and do it at relatively high intensities. So I like that. I like that line of thought, you know, but I also believe hard sparring, hard training, you know, replicating or simulating the uh, constraints of a competition is the most effective way understand and be ready to handle those intensities because the biggest issue like for me when I think when I went to a competition I kind of got you know caught up in the fact I got nervous I got you know a little bit shaky and you have to you have to understand how to compensate for that which means you have to either compete more I mean that's probably the only way to get rid of it because competing in the gym is never like competing against someone you don't know I can compete in the gym all day But competing at, you know, if I have to fly out to Las Vegas to go to a competition, well, that's a different set of circumstances. I have to be ready for that. Now, I'm going to make a quick uh, segue here to talk about a movie I watched yesterday. I watched the movie Foxcatcher. For those of you who haven't seen it, it came out a little while ago. Foxcatcher is basically a dramatized version of the... John DuPont, Team Foxcatcher wrestling story. And it follows Mark Schultz, which I don't understand um, the best. You know, I don't know very much about Mark Schultz, and I think it was weird that they picked him to be the lead. Because as far as I know, Dave Schultz was, he was one of the first guys at Foxcatcher. Now, I'm not totally up to date on that history, but there was a documentary about it. And he was one of those guys who was there from the early days. And it follows these two brothers, mostly Mark, but it follows them, you know, kind of fighting each other over their wrestling. And Dave Schultz was a coach. He was one of, you know, the best coaches in the United States. And Mark was super broke. He wasn't coaching anywhere. He was basically, you know, scraping by. And John DuPont comes in, says, I want you to wrestle for Foxcatcher. And he does. And they they break down this whole, like, super weird narrative of uh, Mark Schultz adopting... John Dupont is like a father figure and there's this weird, like kind of sub narrative where it implies that they were gay and uh, Mark Schultz starts doing cocaine. He shaves his head or he cuts his hair and he starts dyeing the tips blonde. Like as far as I know, Mark Schultz did none of that. And then, you know, he fought in UFC nine against big daddy Goodrich And they didn't even get that right At the end of the movie Like guys what the fuck This is a legitimately Historically verifiable fact And you didn't get it right And They didn't even like (sighs) The biggest part of the movie Is the murder of Dave Schultz That's the biggest part of the movie And You know John DuPont just pulls up on Dave And he shoots him three times for no like even in the in the actual event it wasn't there was no explanation for like he just pulled up and shot him and the reason for that isn't explained anywhere i mean the police report may have done that but still still there's no logical reason for why that happened I mean, of course, it's not going to be logical. John DuPont was, he was basically going insane. I mean, I would say if you had Netflix, watch the documentary, Team Foxcatcher, not the movie Foxcatcher, because the documentary is good. Um, I think that what they did is they took away too much creative license. It would have been better if they just, you know, stuck to the story and, and they really described because... I have no idea how the Schultz brothers got along. But even from, you know... Um, even from the documentary, I, I don't think that they were as estranged as it made them seem. You know, uh, there was a scene in the movie where uh, Mark, Mark Schultz is at the world championship. And his brother is there to help coach him. And something happens to him. Uh, It wasn't even... There were a lot of scenes in the movie where, like, people were talking at each other. But there was no dialogue that you could hear. So that you couldn't hear what they were saying. And it was like, okay, I don't really understand how this is supposed to be furthering the plot. But something happened. And Mark Schultz just goes on a rampage and, like, eats all the food... (laughs) He eats like a cart full of food Candy bars All that from uh, Room service And You know he goes down to weigh Weigh in And the guy's like you're 12 pounds Over you got 90 minutes to lose it Well This has happened before You know Dave Goes with his brother he says okay We're not going to let you miss this So Yeah. Uh, Sorry about that. So, they go and they get on the fan bike and they're just treading calories. Just easily, you know, 20, 30 intervals of uh, whatever. How many calories it takes to burn 12 pounds of fat off. He's throwing up in, in the toilet. Like, forcing himself to throw up. His brother's there with him. It's... It's just off the rails, you know? And he gets there. He wins the world championship. That was the only part of the movie that I thought was good. Because it's like, okay, what... The, everything else in the movie doesn't really make sense. Nothing else... Uh, like, the, the narrative isn't cohesive. It's... it. It's just weird. Like... I know the story. I know how it worked out, but they're all just kind of, they just threw a plot together and said it was the story of, you know, Team Foxcatcher. And that's, the reason I have with that is because it's such an obscure event, people probably took that as the truth. And, you know, that kind of is, that sucks because everybody... Well, not everybody, but Dave Schultz is one of America's greatest athletes. And it, it was sad that he had he died, you know, prematurely, because if he was still a coach today, there would have been a, a whole different... And we could have been a whole different team. I mean, he was such a, a great athlete and a good coach. I don't know what type of coaching he was, but, you know, he, he was the head coach of Stanford that we might have a whole different thing I mean there was even speculation he would have gone to the Olympic Training Center uh, after the Seoul Olympics to be the coach I mean it's unfortunate but that's what we got I think I'm going to close this episode off today sorry for the couple interruptions um I don't know what really went on there. Someone just walked into the room and opened a window and then dropped something off on this desk. I I need to get a professional studio here. This is... I'm not a fan. I don't like people walking in and interrupting my stuff while I'm trying to put out good content. Well, I am just going to push you guys off with a couple things. I'm... Gonna be back the week after next. Um, I don't know what I'm gonna talk about yet. I, th- I have it listed down somewhere, but I may, I may decide to start taking up quarterly themes. I don't know. Let's see. Um, where it be? Hmm. Next six topics. Okay. Uh, Japanese cults. Oh, the Ukrainian famine. Okay, that's going to be interesting. So we will be back with the Ukrainian famine. I'll probably call it something like a red harvest. I will see you guys in a couple weeks. Peace.